Uh, This morning we'll be reading from two passages of Holy Scripture. Uh, The first is Psalm 127, the psalm of which we just sang. If you're using your pew Bible this morning, uh, Psalm 127 is found on page 713. And then the words of our text that we'll be considering, especially this morning in our sermon, are taken from Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. And again, in your pew Bible, you find this on page 1,346. Uh, We read two passages because one of the most basic ways in which we understand Scripture rightly is by using other scriptural passages to shed light. Uh, on the passage that we are considering. And Psalm 127 uh, shines light into Ephesians 5, verse 22 and 24. That's why we've chosen to read Psalm 127. Just notice the emphasis on the necessity of the Lord's presence and the Lord's grace to establish and to maintain uh, a godly home. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Now we turn then to Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 24, and there we read the Apostle Paul as he writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything." And thus far for this morning, our reading from Scripture. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, by way of introduction, I want to identify uh, a few presuppositions that we as a Christian congregation have, Uh, presuppositions implying certain core convictions that we have as a result of the Holy Spirit working within us, core convictions that we have about the nature of the Holy Scriptures, the nature of our Bible. Uh, We believe, based upon its own internal testimony, that Scripture is given by inspiration of God, Uh, that all Scripture, according to 1 Timothy, is God-breathed and has its ultimate origin, uh, as Peter also elaborates, not in the will of men, but rather in Uh, the moving of God the Holy Spirit, so that each and every word in the original manuscripts uh, comes forth as the Word of God. Uh, Based upon this belief, this core conviction of the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, we also believe that Scripture uh, has a certain timeless authority. Now, certainly we acknowledge that in the interpretation of Scripture, we must take into account the historical context in which it was originally given, Uh, But the meaning and the implications of the Bible are not bound uh, to that historical circumstance in which it was originally given, but rather Scripture speaks in a timeless sort of a way as it comes with authority. We stress that because the subject matter before us as we continue our series through the epistle of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians uh, is not an easy subject matter. Not an easy subject matter, especially in our culture. 
Uh, even the title that we've given to our sermon this morning, Christian Wives Are to Be Submissive to Their Husbands, is perhaps for many within our culture extremely offensive. And that's why uh, we've identified uh, our presuppositions or our core convictions, because if we, as we do, if we believe that the Word of God is just that, the Word of God, and that it speaks with a certain timeless authoritative voice, and from the outset, we must agree to submit ourselves to what the Word of God has to say. And our only goal this morning is to be faithful to the words of the text, to be faithful to the Word of God, uh, to explain, to expound, and also to make points of application uh, as we are led by our text. The Apostle Paul is transitioning, remember, the first part of the epistle to the Ephesians deals with certain what we call uh, doctrinal indicatives or theological indicatives, certain truth statements about God, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, certain statements of fact about what Jesus Christ has done in His redeeming work. And, and Paul has now transitioned in the second part of his epistle based upon those theological indicatives, what God has done. Now, here are moral imperatives identifying what the impact of God's redeeming grace will be and ought to be in our practical everyday life. You see, the Bible is not just an abstract history book. The Bible is living, the Bible is powerful, and the Bible addresses our practical lives, the practical lives of marriages, the practical lives of families, the practical lives of households. Uh, and so we begin, you might say, to really get down uh, to where uh, the tires hit the road in our day-to-day -day interactions. And, and we've purposely decided to take these moral imperatives section by section, addressing first the wives, and then addressing in due time, Lord willing, the husbands, and then addressing uh, parents, and then addressing children, and then addressing uh, bondservants. And we do that intentionally because the great danger, I believe, is that if we combine them, people miss uh, the main points. If you try to preach on both what Paul has to say to the wives and to the husbands at the same time, the danger is that the wives listen very, very, very carefully to what Paul has to say to the husbands, and the husbands listen very, very, very carefully to what Paul has to say to the wives. And it is most necessary for us to listen carefully to what God would say to us as a congregation, but also individually. If we are to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, let us be courageous enough to listen and we follow, of course, the order that the Apostle Paul addresses these relationships. Let us listen collectively to what Paul would say to Christian wives, and then let us listen collectively to what Paul would say to Christian husbands, and then to Christian parents, and then to Christian children. Uh, so we have this theme before us. Christian wives are to be submissive to their husbands. I want to notice this morning, first of all, the context for this submission, secondly, the description of this submission, and thirdly, the reason for this submission. 
Now, I know submission in our common parlance often has a certain negative connotation behind it. I just wanted to point out the reason we've chosen this word is because in our translation, that's the word, and it's a good translation, wives, submit, verse 22. Uh, Verse 24 also adds a synonym, uh, let them be subject to their own husbands. So, submission in this sense is the biblical idea behind our text. Notice, first of all, with me then, the context for this submission is a description of new life and domestic life. I just want to take the opportunity briefly to look back by way of reminder. uh, This new life, this new spiritual life uh, is the context in which this Christian submission is to be exercised. If you look at chapter 4, verse 17, uh, this I say, Paul writes, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, and the futility of their mind. I just be reminded that uh, the unbelieving world is futile in their understanding. They just don't get it. We don't say that in a harsh, derogatory way. We just simply say that recognizing the biblical truth that natural man, natural humanity, apart from the regenerating grace of God, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, natural humanity, the the culture, the world, they're futile in their thoughts. They do not understand the proper exercise of relationships. And Apostle Paul continues in verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their own heart. Uh, Just this point of application to all of us, especially to those who are younger, don't listen to what the world has to say about interpersonal relationships, especially when it comes to the relationships between husbands and wives, because the culture is ignorant, futile in their understanding. Let us commit ourselves rather to listening to what the Word of God has to say Uh, about relationships. Uh, This new life is also identified, of course, uh, as the Apostle Paul continues in verse 20 of chapter 4, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him, have been taught by Him. Verse 23 mentions being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Uh, If you also flip over to chapter 5, verse 17, uh, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, This is the idea that we have behind this subpoint of a new life, of a new spiritual life as a result of regeneration or uh, of the new birth, as the result of the sanctifying process whereby the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to transform a person's mind, a, a person's will, a person's affections, indeed the entirety of the person, creating new spiritual life that then expresses itself in our day-to-day activities. Now, this is in stark contrast to some type of just secular feminism, but as we have mentioned in other contexts, there are always two ditches on the side of the road. There is, of course, the dangerous ditch of secular feminism that is so paraded within our culture, but on the other side is the danger uh, of some unbiblical male chauvinism. And let us also be reminded as we emphasize the implications of this new life that no movement has done more 
to advance the true honor of women than Christianity, than biblical teaching. This is true historically. This is true in our contemporary age, and this will continue to be true as long as the Word of God is faithfully proclaimed and applied. So within this new life, as individuals in the Christian church experience and express the transformative impact of God's grace, this also applies to our domestic life. Uh, Paul often lists household codes. Uh, That's a term that is used for these types of sections within Scripture. Uh, And the Apostle Paul borrows a a very common uh, Roman way of writing in which the master of a house would, would list various household codes, various rules, you might say. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this and kind of, you might say, redeems that practice. And he says, okay, for the Christian family, for the Christian home, here are some household codes not in order to become the people of God, but because you are the people of God, now therefore live as the people of God, also in your practical life. And notice that when the Apostle Paul begins with these household codes, he always begins with the most foundational, the most fundamental relationship to home, church, and society, and that is marriage. Marriage is the basic building block of a Christian church and of a society. It is a creation ordinance. We read in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis that God created uh, humanity. He created male and female. He saw after he created Adam that it was not good for man to be alone, and so he created a, a helpmeet or a helper comparable to Adam, Eve. And he brought them together, and God himself officiated at that first marriage ceremony, and he bound them together as husband and wife, that which was designed to be a lifelong relationship of exclusive communion, and that's how God began to build society. Boys and girls, you remember that God created all kinds of animals and all kinds of fish, all kinds of trees and plants. But he didn't create all kinds of people. Initially, he created two. And this is, of course, significant. And no matter what our culture says in its futility, marriage is the most basic building block of a Christian church and of a society. And marriage also must be, and indeed will be, impacted by the evidence of grace. And so I just want to ask you this morning, especially if you are married, how is the home? How is the marriage? Because there's always a danger, a danger of a facade. You know, that you can drive past a building that can have a beautifully attractive front to it maybe well-kept, maybe even updated. And then you go further into the building and you notice that behind the well-kept appearances, there is just an empty shell of a neglected building. And so with pastoral love, I ask you not just about the front that everyone sees on Sunday, and that perhaps the community sees in your public interaction. 
But what about all of the rooms behind the front? What about the hallways, the closets, figuratively speaking, of your marriage and of your home? Is there evidence of God's grace? Now, we want to clarify that Christian marriages are not perfect marriages. And we also want to emphasize that where there is sin, there is also for the Christian forgiveness of sin. But grace is a powerful, energetic, transformative power that through the ongoing process of sanctification will have an impact on how we interact one with another and how we relate to one another. Well, notice then as we reflect upon how the home is, the description in our second point of this submission that Christian wives uh, are to exercise towards their husbands. I want to look at the nature and then the extent in regards to this submission. And I want to look at the nature. What exactly is this submission? I want to look at it from two angles, for the benefit of the Christian wife, but also then for the benefit of the Christian husband. And I want to encourage you, if you are not married, don't check out. Don't just say, ah, these sermons aren't for me. Because, of course, we live in a corporate congregation in which we all ought to bring words of encouragement and mutual instruction. Uh, Also for the young people, uh, many of you have, I trust, a desire one day to be married. And these are important principles that you will need to exercise and also that you will need to evaluate in a potential spouse. And addressing uh, wives first, then, submission simply means this, that the wife is to willingly, voluntarily, wholeheartedly, sincerely, enthusiastically follow after her husband's godly headship, guidance, and leadership within the marriage relationship. You can't have two people both be the head. One has to be the head. And of course, you can remember the words attributed to Spurgeon where he encouraged wives, don't try to be the head, rather be the neck, because the neck can turn the head whichever way the neck wants to. Not in a forceful manner, but in a wise manner, in a gentle manner, in a winsome manner. So what does it mean for a Christian wife to submit to her own husband? And notice that women are not to submit to men, generally speaking, in society, to all men. That's not what the Apostle Paul teaches at all. He's very emphatic when he says in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. What this means is that the wife is to, again, we emphasize these words voluntarily, wholeheartedly, sincerely, and enthusiastically. Support, encourage, follow her husband's guidance and leadership 
and headship within the marriage relationship and within the government of that individual home. And a word to wives, and we recognize, as some say, here perhaps we go where angels fear to tread. A word to wives, don't undermine your husband's role and your husband's responsibility to lead. I've heard over the course of my years in the ministry more than one wife complain about her husband's lack of leadership. And at times, perhaps, the complaint is valid. But at times, and I guess if I would have been bolder, I would have said more explicitly to that woman, well, in my observation, the main reason your husband doesn't lead is because you won't let him lead. And he's given up trying. So wives, embrace the role of yourself and also the role of your husband. Encourage his leadership by be willing to follow his leadership. Encourage his work and guidance by being willing to follow his guidance. I would submit to you that this is what the word submit means, to follow the husband's role of leadership. Now, for the sake of the husbands or potential husbands in the future, just to avoid any misunderstanding, let us be clear, submission does not mean that the wife is to be belittled or that she can be belittled. Submission may not be understood as giving the green light uh, to disrespect the wife in her thoughts, and her opinions, and her ideas. Uh, the wife is not to be silenced uh, in the marriage relationship or in the home. Wise leadership is not the leadership of domination or of a tyranny, of just absolutely squashing any other opinion other than one's own. Leadership and this applies to any position of leadership. Leadership is not a selfish exercise. It's not an arrogant exercise. It's not a domineering exercise. And just as I said in regards to wives who have complained or bemoaned the fact that their husbands don't lead, uh, also I've heard more than one husband complain about the wife's unwillingness to submit to their leadership, but at times I've wanted to tell the husband, well, it's because you're not exercising leadership. You're sitting passively on the sidelines saying, I wish she would be more submissive. And the cry that you hear, again, speaking figuratively rather than literally, the cry that you hear from many, many a young covenantal lady, if I can call it an unmarried single lady, they're looking for young Christian men who are about something, who are leaders, who take initiative, who have purpose within their life. And sadly, oftentimes, such are lacking. But the main 
exhortation in this text is wives submit to your own husbands. And notice the extent of this submission. Because let's be honest, it's easy at times to be submissive. And those times are when the leader decides to do that which you want him to do. We don't have any problem submitting when the leader decides to do what we want the leader to decide to do. And that's why the Apostle Paul emphasizes, uh, for example, in verse 24, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, using Scripture to interpret Scripture, of course, this does not mean that the wife is to submit uh, if she is instructed to engage in sin. But this does mean uh, in areas in which she is in full agreement and submission works out for her favor initially, but also in times when perhaps she is of a different opinion. And at times when it's not the most favorable decision for her personally. In all things. Uh, you can think of uh, a few cross-references, uh, if you're not convinced at this point. Uh, you can turn to 1 Peter 3. And there the Apostle Peter basically exhorts along these same lines. I just want to read the entirety of 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. You can either turn there and follow along or make a mental note or perhaps make a note uh, if you're taking written notes. The Apostle Peter, and notice the unity within Scripture, he says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. You can think also equally inspired passage of Proverbs 31, verse 30, where it says with conciseness, this truth charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So wives, as the grace of God exercises itself within your souls. Be submissive to your own husbands. But you might be prone to ask, why? And you might be prone to ask, especially in regards to your husband. You might look at him and say, now why in the world would I be submissive to him? And the Apostle Paul anticipates uh, this question, and our third point, we consider the reason for this submission. Uh, notice verse 23, back to our text, there is the ground, the word for, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior, he referring to Christ, not of course the husband, he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, because of that truth in verse 23, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so the reason is because of the economic structure of authority and out of humble obedience to Christ. 
the economic structure of authority. What we mean by this is uh, the, the words complementarianism rather than an egalitarianism. A complementarianism recognizes the biblical teaching uh, that male and female are distinct genders uh, and that the male and the female were created to complement one another uh, by fulfilling their unique roles, their unique gifts and talents being used to fulfill those unique roles. So Eve was created as the helpmeet. Adam was not created as the helpmeet. Uh, now, in this economic structure of authority, we want to emphasize uh, that there is what theologians call ontological equality. Male, female, equally created in the image of God, therefore of equal inherent value. Uh, Genesis 1 verse 27 is very clear on this. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. The value, the worth of a man and the worth of a woman is equal in the sight of God because both bear the image of God. And just notice that that is ultimately where human beings derive their value. It's not a utilitarian type of a value system. It's not that I'm valuable because I can do this or earn this or produce this. Ultimately, in the sight of God, my value is bound up in the reality that I bear the image of God. And that is true of husbands and of wives, of sons and of daughters, uh, of men and of women. And this is also true within the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal, and yet in their equality as it relates to their individual persons, as the Trinity, as the triune God works, there is a certain economic subordination. And by economic, we just mean the idea of, of working. So as God works, His works, there is a certain structure of subordinationism. Not in reference to their persons. The Son is equal in glory and majesty with the Father. And yet the Son says that His will is to do the will of the Father. The Father doesn't say that the Father's will is to do the work of the Son. There is a certain structure within the Trinity, and that structure is to be reflected by the Christian home. So that the wife, while being in her person, equal with the husband, has been created to be the helpmeet. And this proof, of course, is found in other passages. And we've already referenced, for example, Genesis 2, verse 18. And this would be wonderful for the husbands to remember as well as the wives to remember. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And those words, helper comparable, uh, means that the, the wife has the skills, the talents, the insights, the perceptions that the husband doesn't have. The idea is two pieces of a puzzle fitting together in their perspective on life so that the wife helps the husband and helps him as his helper, a helper comparable to him. Uh, and Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 8 and 9. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. He's recording, of course, here and reflecting upon uh, the form of creation. Adam was formed directly by God out of the dust of the ground, and God then formed Eve by taking a rib out of Adam. 
And this is not just some mythological fable, but this is an inspired record of the history of the origins of humanity, which also just shows us the importance of understanding and appropriately believing the revelation that is given throughout the entirety of Scripture, including chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis. So much confusion in our world and also, sadly, within our churches in regards also to marriage, in regard to the relational roles of husband and wife is a fruit of a misunderstanding of the origins of humanity. And practically speaking, this ought to be of an encouragement to the wife to exercise submission for Christ himself exercises a certain submission to the Father. And that's his glory. What does Christ say in the garden of Gethsemane as he is accomplishing that which Paul reflects upon, saving the body? He is the Savior of the body. Christ says there in the garden, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Philippians 2, if you turn there, if you are so inclined, uh, further elaborates on this truth when it points out that Jesus Christ willingly, voluntarily submitted himself to accomplish the work of redemption. So Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And that's what we talked about, this ontological equality. The Son did not consider it robbery to be equal with the Father because the Son is equal with the Father as far as their persons are considered. But, verse 7, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, because he willingly, voluntarily submitted himself to the will of the Father, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And so at the end of it, why should Christian wives submit to their husbands? Doing so as unto the Lord. Notice verse 22, the last four words in our translation, as to the Lord, because I can only imagine. It's not easy to submit ourselves to others. This is true in marriage. This is true in the life of a congregation. This is true in a consistory room, a diaconate room, a council room. This is true in the workplace. It's not easy to submit ourselves to those who are in positions of authority. Because those in positions of authority are not perfect. And we who find ourselves in a variety of positions of being under authority at times bristle when we perceive the imperfections of those in authority. 
I guarantee you, any human being who has been placed in a position of authority exercises that authority imperfectly. There's only one who exercises authority perfectly, and that is God. So, wives, I acknowledge your husband is not perfect. He's not Christ. But as a Christian husband, he has the responsibility of headship. And I'm not referring to allowing sinful practices to continue to exist. I'm not referring to turning the eye away from such things. But in the everyday activities of the marriage and the home, even though your husband is not perfect, submit to him as unto the Lord, knowing that your obedience ultimately is an obedience unto the Lord. I just want to close with this reflection. The feminist movement has been running rampant in our Western culture for decades. I offer this reflection. Those who buy in to the feminist lie, are they happy? Are they peaceful? Are they content? Do they have joy? I would submit to you they do not. Now, that's not the ultimate proof for the truth of Scripture, but that is a supportive testimony to the truth of Scripture. The way of peace, the way of a sense of fulfillment, is not in the brash exercise of a spirit of radical feminist independence. That's a lie of the devil. The way of peace, the way of a spiritual contentment for the Christian wife is to submit to the loving headship of her, yes, imperfect husband as an exercise of obedience to her Lord. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we acknowledge that we have attempted to wade through difficult matters, uh, riddled with the potential of misunderstanding, uh, of misspeaking, and so we pray that all that has been said and all that has been heard will be carefully evaluated, but upon one and only basis. May our question be, is this what the Scriptures have to say? And where we find the Scriptures speaking, may we be willing to listen. And not only listen with a passing curiosity, but listen with an openness of heart that we might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, remember our marriages. Remember our homes. Remember the wives of your church. Would you bless us with grace and mercy? and with peace. For the sake of Jesus Christ, amen.